0: This message is brought to you by Heartland Family Fellowship. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. We thank you for listening in on our podcast and hope that the Lord does bless you as you listen today. We want to welcome our online listeners, and we are in the middle of a series on the Word of God. Today's message is entitled, The Authenticity of the Word which is part three of our study of the Word of God. We've been in the middle of talking about our review. And those of you who have the printed material with the message, please look at the diagram D104. We have doctrine, reprove, correction, and instruction. Correction is turning the person uh, away from the rejection and the lies. And this produces righteous choices, which sets them up for discipleship. Now, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you don't love me. And Peter gets offended by Jesus identifying the lie that Peter was under. Peter really thought he loved Jesus. And so Jesus is is reproving him and saying, Peter, do you love me? And he asked him three times, right? And every time Peter said, yes, yes, yes. The last time he was even frustrated, and he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. But see, Jesus knew Peter couldn't jump from here to here because he had not been discipled into truth yet. That is a very, very critical thing to understand. Jesus did not assume that the discipleship process was complete for Peter, so he could go feed the sheep. He was making a point to Peter, "You're not done yet, buddy. Before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times." Now, bet Peter was like, "He, what is he talking about?" So, correction is turning the person for righteous choosing, so that they can be discipled, and then instruction is to train them. In the practical things, live it out as you're being discipled so you can spread the word of God. Simple, simple stuff. Now, here's our 10 keys. Key number one is the word of God is inspired. Someone want to tell me what inspired means? Have you ever sat and all of a sudden you were inspired to write someone a letter? Some people could say that about books, articles. Some preachers can say, I was inspired to teach what I did this morning. Inspired actually means that you are being empowered by another resource. We use it in a very poetic way today, very humanistic way today. Oh, I was inspired to talk to you this morning, or I was inspired to whatever, and that is not the authentic meaning of the word inspired is you are empowered by a different source so when they were inspired they were empowered by a source outside their mind outside their thoughts my thoughts are not his thoughts my ways are not his ways they were empowered by another source of life so all scripture is empowered by God and profitable for teaching reprove correction training that the man of God may be adequate now adequate does not mean to be a pastor doesn't mean to be a missionary it doesn't mean to be well-studied adequate means that you have all the tools necessary to complete building that shed that house that sidewalk that whatever it is that you're working on you have the tools we have taken this passage and turned it into seminaries and Bible schools and we think to be adequately equipped with the Word of God you must get degrees the truth of the matter is that is not what the word means it means your toolbox has been filled up now use them and that's what Jesus was saying to Peter well, if you had all these tools, go feed my sheep. But he didn't. Peter was still in denial stuff. And he said that to him and literally proved it to him in the end. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Prophecy comes from truesayer. is the process of a truesayer. Know this, first of all, that no prophet of the scriptures, that would be your pastors and your teachers and your missionaries and, and so forth and so on. He's saying, No, none of these true sayers of the scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. So when someone says to me, Well, Finney, that's your own interpretation of that verse. If I am interpreting the verse, than it is my own thinking or that's what my college taught me that's what my professor taught me that's what the seminary taught me that's what my denomination teaches he said no this is absolutely critical for the entire body of christ worldwide to understand this this passage there are no interpretations of the scriptures when You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is doing the inspiration of teaching, preaching, writing an encouragement card. The body of Christ will be 100% in tune with each other if the Holy Spirit had its way. There is no other interpretation. The Holy Spirit does not interpret the words of Jesus. It brings to remembrance the words of Jesus. John 8, 28 there is no interpretation here it is what it is and if everyone said it as it is it would be what it is there would not be all this division and three thousand two hundred and one denominations in the world it wouldn't be that and this is what is being said to us for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will you say what all, what about all these false prophets? They're liars. They're of the father of lies. Even then themselves are not original prophets. Do you understand that? They're of the father of lies. So even these crazy prophets that are out there, you can't even give them any credit. Cuz they're of the father of lies. It's singular, not plural. It's singular. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God, so that moved. If you dice it down there, I'm not very good at the Greek, but I do have a you know Greek and uh, uh, keyword Bible, so I can get in there and look up the definitions like anyone else can. But moved is the same word that's used for inspiration. It is a something's going on inside me that is not me, and what is it? the Holy Spirit moved by the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit external sitting there having a cup of coffee with you no if you're a Christian the Holy Spirit indwells you inspires you to write the encouragement card and you'll be writing down exactly what the Spirit of God wants you to write down cool stuff number two key number two the Bible is made up of 66 different books Truth being said, there's 65. Revelation is a book that's supposed to stand by itself. It's a very special book. If anyone adds to it or deletes from it, God deletes them from the book of life. But they didn't know where to put the thing, so they stuck it on the end, which is probably a good place for it. So now we have 66. Here's how the Bible is given to us. First of all, the law. Hebrew law in Hebrew means character. When your mommy and your daddy give you a law, when your kids give me an example of the law in your house, please don't. There's got to be a few of them. There's a lot to choose from. Please don't what? Please don't kill people. Please don't throw the hammer through the neighbor's window. Please, please make your blood. Please make sure that you, you, you eat all your carrots. Please, Those are all little rules, aren't they? Every time your parents give you a rule, they're revealing their character. Eating carrots is important to them. Because if you eat your carrots, you get to see better. You see how important it is, a part of their character? The law of God is the character of God. And there's five of those books. Then comes the history, which is his story. Actually, when you break this up into the Latin, it's not his story. It's just a fun way for us to say it. It is high story, which is the highest. It is, history is the ultimate stories of mankind. It is the ultimate stories of God. History of God. Continuous history means it's not finished yet. So when I use the term continuous history with you, that means it's not done. All the books in the Bible from Genesis all the way up through Jude, all those books are classified as history. They are high points of the story of God. Okay, so that's how you can remember it. The high points of the stories of God. They're not all of them, they're just the high points. Now, the book of Revelation is classified as continuous history. Ian, why is that? Why is it continuous history versus regular history? He has stuff that what? exactly it's not done it's still in process now there's some continuous history stuff in a lot of the books in the Bible Ezekiel Daniel that is still being completed but you can actually say so it is said so it is written so they wrote it down all of that stuff got moved over and put into the book of Revelation that's why it's so that's why it's so special so Ezekiel's in there, Daniel's in there, First Thessalonians in there. See, it's all in there, in one book. It's a summary of continuous history for God. It's a very, very, very special book, and no one's supposed to mess with it. Next, we have poetry, wisdom, which reveals the intimacy of God. So we have law, and there's five books. We have... Uh, history. There's 12 books of history. There's poetry and wisdom. There's 5 books which reveals the intimacy of God, the tenderness of God. Next we have major prophets. Major prophets the way you know the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet is a major prophet is always talking about global events. Minor prophets talk about local events. So as you know, there are more minor prophets being used by God to write things down than major prophets. Because we need to hear about Pakistan and India this morning, but reality, we need to spend our time on local work to walk out our own Christianity. Same thing in the Bible. Then you have Gospels in the book of Acts there's five of those so you have Matthew Mark Luke and John and then the book of Acts why do we include the book of Acts there because the book of Acts is what brings literally that time period to closure so it's during the time of Jesus the ascension the book of Acts is right during the ascension right after the ascension closes off the Gospels okay Then you have Paul's epistles. And these are letters of direction. Now that we have the Gospels done, now that we have the sealing of the Gospels done, now we're going to give you letters, encouragement letters, of how to walk it out. What you're supposed to do with it. If you go back to our old diagram, you'll see now we're into the discipleship mode. Paul is considered the father of discipleship. Jesus is the son of the gospel. God. Paul is the father of discipleship. Even though they all did discipleship. Paul was known in his letters to provide direction to the people. Then you have general epistles. And that is general direction. This was very specific direction. If someone sins, do this. Talk to them first one on one. If they don't listen, Paul would bring out what... Jesus would say, in Matthew, he would bring it out in real life and give the church actual instruction on how to do it. The general direction was where to take this message today and move out generally, just in day-to-day experiences. And then as I mentioned to you before, special revelation, which is to reveal Christ. That's what the word means in the Greek. Is to, is to say, I have nothing to hide from you. So the book of Revelation is, it's opened thy door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Revelation 13, 5. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, it's opening the door. It's, it's, oh, it's revealing himself. I'm not going to hide from you. No surprises. That is the Bible. Every single piece Is needed the law, history, poetry, wisdom, major prophets, minor prophets, gospel and the Acts, Paul's epistles, general epistles, and then special revelation. Number three, this is where it's very fascinating. You can't see them very well, but this is the Hebrew alphabet. Every one of the letters in the Hebrew alphabet is a picture. And Ian in his class coming up is gonna learn these pictures they are absolutely mind-bending they are powerful if you take every single picture and line them up which is what we're going to do we're going to line them all up and we're going to write the word picture underneath every one of those symbols and when you read it backwards this is what it says so you understand what i'm saying you line up all these Hebrew alphabet characters underneath you write the word picture you read the word picture backwards and you have Hebrew alpha it reads for the first leader God of his household will lift himself up and provide a pathway to enter in order to reveal and secure his way he will cut off and separate the snake and work to cover authority from chaos and give them life and support to know and experience the word he will give the desire the last head highest to consume and seal the covenant the cross that is the Old Testament there is so much in the way God put the word together it cannot be denied. This is Greek. If you took the Greek alphabet, and as I told you before, all Greek, you can you can find Hebrew uh, translation for. That's what this is. If you take the Greek alphabet and you bring out the Hebrew word pictures from the Greek alphabet, it reads this way. It's very simple. For God will lift His Son up and provide a pathway for man to enter the nailing. Now you put that together with this statement here, you have the full gospel of Jesus Christ. It was always a part of the plan. So people who actually take the time to study pictorial Hebrew become absolutely attached to pictorial Hebrew because... It reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over and over, and it was the Old Testament. He hadn't even been born yet. Just knowing the basics of pictorial Hebrew, you have all the proof necessary of the Word of God. You don't even have to read the Bible. Just knowing pictorial Hebrew, you will know there is a God. How could have this happened? How could have he have talked about the cross before there was one? It's a powerful story. Jesus is the word and he came to dwell among us. Why are we called the bride of Christ? Why did God give us the law? Why did God give us the 720 laws of sundry? Why did he give us the Ten Commandments? Flaw equals character. Character equals symbolism of, of a person's being. Why? Why Hebrew? Because God is Hebrew. He always was Hebrew. It wasn't a word we came up with in the Old Testament. He always was Hebrew. His laws always have been. There happens to be a law in Hebrew that says the firstborn son must get married. The Hebrew firstborn son must get married. So when did that law start? Huh? At creation? Before time existed. Which, always that way, and always that way. So that means, when we read the Hebrew, and it's always talking about this marriage feast that's coming, he's talking about the marriage feast of his son. He's setting, the creation was set up to get him a bride. That's the reason for creation. It wasn't to create a bunch of people that say, I love God. It was God fulfilling his own law for his own son, that the firstborn son, which is the only son of God, has to get married. He needs a bride. So what does he do? He forms this earth. He, he does all that he does in creation in the six days, and on the seventh day, rests. Which is the honeymoon. We'll talk about that later. But all of what God does is to start the reproductive process of for people so God can choose his bride for his son. That's how simple it is. There are theologians that are arguing and to this very day on why mankind was established and when. And if you understand Hebrew law, and you understand the characteristics of God, and you understand that God himself obeys his own laws, you'll realize that God must get his son married. He had to create a system to give his son a bride. And that's us in this room, and others all around the world for generations gone past. Old Testament. The son is with his father, You say, no, wait a minute. I thought he hadn't even been born yet. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been here. He just came in the form of M-A-N during his earthly birth. For God came to dwell among us so we could behold him. Behold is a bridal term. So the son was with the father. Old Testament doctrines of marriage were being established. Don't do this, can't have two wives when you and all these laws started to come out of the prophets. They wrote them down cuz God was establishing marital guidelines. Then we have the groom prepares for his bride, we have the birth of Jesus Christ. And the birth of Christ, the son sent by his father for his bride. So things have been done enough in the Old Testament where God the Father says, Okay, son, it's time for me to have you enter in. And of course we know the miraculous story where we have Mary with the miraculous conception. And how is it again she got pregnant? Uh, from Joseph? Uh, how this happen? from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit the seed was placed within Mary this is a very critical piece to understand this has messed a lot of people up the Catholic Church believes that Mary was holy because how could perfection come out of an imperfect body therefore Mary must have been holy the fact is sin comes through the seed not through blood If You, as a woman, could get pregnant without mankind. By literally the seed of God, you too could birth Jesus Christ. And that messes the Catholic Church up. Because they believe that Mary had to be holy, therefore, the Queen of Heaven, the Mother of God, she was just as holy, if not a little more holier, than Jesus Christ, her Son. That simply is not true. Sin travels through the seed. Because Adam fell, his seed became filled with sin. Every child born after Adam received the sin. Therefore, every child born after Adam was born into sin. Except for Jesus. Because he wasn't born of man's seed. He was born of the seed of God, which had no sin in it. That's why he was perfect living inside of an imperfect body blood does not pass seed to the next generation now we have his ministry this is his courting the bride this is this is during the time that he's courting Peter and he's courting John and he's courting you know he is courting it is a period before there is Finality to the engagement so his ministry public ministry permission given by the father to court his bride now he has thousands of followers by this point not 12 there are people that have heard people that have heard people that have heard people in that three and a half years and he has been laying the foundation of the doctrines of marriage and now he's ready to act them out and be obedient to the Old Testament doctrines of marriage then you have the death of Christ the death of the groom salvation engagement permitted by the Father so when I go to went to Jane and I gave her this ring and said honey will you marry me and she says well, you need to talk to my father. So I go talk to her father, and her father says, okay. Then she gets to say, okay. Her okay is not as important to me as her father's okay. I know a lot of people won't practice that today, but that's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus responds to his father by saying yes. So now the engagement starts. And as you know, Hebrew law over here requires engagement to be classified as a marriage. So when Joseph was engaged, betrothed, betrothed to, to Mary, he was married to her. They just hadn't consummated the marriage yet. That's why the seed of God had to go between engagement and consummation. If God would have put the seed inside Mary before the engagement we would have had trouble it had to be in that perfect time period that one year time period of engagement that's Hebrew law so God didn't break his law when he gave his seed to Mary it's important to know because a lot of people accuse God of actually committing adultery against his own laws because of her being Uh, becoming pregnant before what Americans call the wedding night that is not true the engagement period to God is you are married but you're supposed to work out your stuff during your engagement before there's a wedding feast that's why it takes a year so now you have the 40 days on earth this is the public announcement of his engagement Jesus went to, historically this is proven, every single town and city that he preached in. He went to every single town he preached in and announced his engagement. That's just miraculous to me. took him 40 days to do that, to walk to every town he preached in to say, here's my formal engagement, my announcement. Then you have Christ's ascension. The groom returns to the Father. the father prepares the bride and the groom prepares the room. So now Jesus is actually preparing a house is actually the term that is used, not a room, but it's a room in my father's house because the house of the Father covers literally the eternal span of the Father. But it's actually a house. He's preparing our home. He's preparing our living quarters, which is classified in Revelation as the New Jerusalem, which is 1,500 square miles wide, 1,500 square miles long, 1,500 square miles high. It is a very large home. And at the center of the New Jerusalem is the living tree. That's the stuff in Revelation people get all confused about. It's very, very simple. If you keep it simple. So here we are in New Testament living, waiting, while he is preparing our home for us. The New Jerusalem. Now, then there's the rapture, which is the groom returns to gather up his bride. Okay, I'm done. Told my father I was done. He approved. I'm done. The house is ready. The city is ready. Come on. And he gathers up his bride, and that is the rapture. Then Christians in heaven is the groom, consummates the marriage. That's what you and I are used to singing about, writing about, telling stories about, the great wedding feast. We were given a picture of someone who painted a long table and it literally goes off into, in the picture where you can't even see the end of the table, the chairs and the candelabras and the dishes and whatever. That's the wedding feast. That is in heaven. That is the public address of what you and I classify as our wedding. It is actually a celebration that you made it through the engagement. You're a virgin who had and proved to have oil in their lamp. Welcome. And there's going to be a bunch of them. They're in bridal gowns that think that they have oil in their lamp and there's not an ounce. They're not going to make it. That's what this period's for. To separate the goats from the sheep. Bridal members from pretenders. Then you have the life on this new earth, there is actually a new earth being prepared for us. We don't know what that looks like. It is all a part of what Christ is doing right now. But we know the word says it is going to be done. And then it will go forever that way. Number four is sacred. The books of the Bible were collected and arranged and recognized by inspired sacred authority by church leaders based on careful guidelines. They call it canonization. And it's a group of Christian leaders. And there were some that were not Christians. That were a part of this group that would sit in a room like this. And they spent days and weeks and months deciding which of the writings should be considered placed in this written book it ended up that there was conflict quarrels among them and they came out with two of them there's one that's classified as the uh, Catholic Bible and there's one that's classified as the Protestant Bible if you pick up a Catholic Bible it is gonna have a set of books in there that we do not believe should be in there and vice versa so that is the hidden story that's not so hidden behind what happened when these people got together and put together these books and approved which should be in the final count. You need to understand something. There is a new canonization process taking place today. There are leaders that are wanting to reevaluate the canonization, the original cano- canonization process. Because they found four more gospels that were not debated in this original canonization meeting. So the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Philip, the Gospel of can't even remember what they all are. There were more than four, but this four they believe need to be debated. And so they are asking for a new canonization. So you need to understand that within the next 15 years we could have a complete, different, approved, written Bible. You say it will never happen. Then how in the world did we get the Mormon Bible? How in the world did we get the Jehovah Witness Bible? But you just need to be aware of that. There is a process I'm going to show you that God went through to prove which of these books need to stay intact. Before the printing press was invented, the Bible was copied by hand. The word was copied accurately by using an intricate method of numeric proofing. What that means, when they would handwrite the Bible, every time they were finished with a verse, they had to count numerically with the alphabet backwards to make sure it translated back the exact same way and it's done through coding numeric coding every alphabet has a number associated with it most people pick up a bible and they just say uh... you know they read an old testament verse and they're all excited about it and whatever but if you read it in hebrew and you understand the hebrew you read backwards you understand in hebrew has a separate picture to it you understand in hebrew it has a number assigned to it you start to realize to get an accurate translation you got to know just a little bit more than what's on the english pages and that's why a lot of people today question the authenticity of the word of god because they have enough knowledge to say there's no way you can tell me that what is on these english pages is everything because they've done a little of their research so they're throwing the whole baby out with the bathwater it's a powerful system that God put together for proof. The Bible number six is the Bible was the first book ever printed on the printing press, fourteen fifty five, and that was done in Latin. Number seven is the evidence proves that today's New American Standard Bible is remarkably true to the original writings. So is King James, so is New King James. New King James is basically King James without using a lot of the these and the thou's and those type of references. But there's not a lot of word-for-word translations that are out there today. Most translations are people taking the English and literally setting down verse by verse and saying, okay, their rulers dearly love shame. What's a way that we can say that that is accurate according to the English Standard their authority figures their parents their see what's the best way we can say that and that's what a lot of rewrites of the Bible has done people who know how it's done understand that is very very dangerous they start reading these paraphrase Bibles like they're the authentic word of god and they're not and there's a lot of them out there so here's kind of the good bad and ugly list the worst translations on the market today and i'm sure i'm going to get some emails over this one is niv you need to understand that january one two thousand twelve they are not reprinting any of the old niv bibles So when you order a Bible after January 1 of 2012, you are ordering the gender-friendly version. They didn't even make a public announcement of this. That's how secret this is. The gender-friendly Bible has removed 6,320 references to masculinity in the Bible and neutered it. So they have thrown themselves into being literally the worst translation on the market. But, since they are the most popular translation on the market, it is probably going to fly. Because over 80% of your pastors in America use NIV in their preaching. So when they get new Bibles, and their people get new Bibles, automatically make the change. New Living Translation is really not a translation, and I know I'll probably get emails on that one because they said they went back to the original writings and did what everyone else does the problem is is using postmodern terminology to explain a culture that is impossible to explain through postmodern words impossible you have to keep certain rules in mind like the verse i read to you when it says the rulers you need to keep rulers intact you can't Put another word there for rulers can't put kings can't put parents can't put fathers can't put mothers can't put them rulers has a particular generalization of everyone who's been given authority by God and that's why it messes it up and then the third verse is the good news Bible doesn't need to be explained best translations is n a s b new american standard bible the king james new king james and then you have the rsv or the e s v revised standard version as the best word for word translations. number eight is we have the dead sea scrolls to discover the dead sea scrolls confirm the astonishing reliability of some of the copies of the old testament made Over the years. Number nine, translations at the last part of the translations made in more than 2,530 languages. Historically, by 2000 AD, seven languages, by 500 AD, 13 languages, by 900 AD, 17 languages, by 1800 AD, 57 languages, by 1900, it was 537 languages, by 1980, there was 1,100, and in 2011, there were 2,530 languages of the Bible. Now I'm being told that the Bible is being digitized in over 1,000 of the leading languages in the world today when it goes digital the completing of the gospel in every country will be within literally months as soon as that happens as we know the rapture is shortly behind that number ten how in the world can we complete the reformation if we don't believe his words are absolute and infallible they can not fail Thank you for joining us today. Heartland Family Fellowship is a local church plant here in Sterling, Kansas. Our fellowship includes the family and all levels of worship. Our mission is to bring families back together spiritually, relationally, and physically. Many people ask us, what does that really mean, or how does it benefit them? Well, it means that you can bring your entire family to any of Heartland's events. And we will work to keep the focus on God Jesus Christ, and the Body of Christ without dividing up the family at the front door. If you're interested in learning more about our fellowship or other family-integrated fellowships, please log on to our website. That is www.heartlandfellowships.org. We thank you for joining us. Forget yourself and a bind, a shirt off your back. Need a floor, need a couch, need a bus fare